I feel like uh, after last week, I do need to make a clarification. Um, I kind of threw my mother under the bus. Uh, she actually did turn out to be a, a great grandmother. Uh, she did cut down on the wheat germ, so that was a good thing. But don't worry, this week I kind of throw my dad under the bus. So my brother and I played soccer for the Eames Soccer Club. We were playing our rivals from the next town over in Nevada, Iowa. The thing is, my dad worked for, the, for a farm real estate company out of Nevada. So instead of spending the whole game on our sideline, he spent the whole game uh, on their sideline talking to the parents from Nevada. Now, I can't remember if we won or lost, but now in hindsight, my dad didn't do anything wrong. But my brother and I were annoyed that he seemed to take their side when my brother and I were complaining about some of the referee calls and other such things. Like, you really want your dad to be on your side, and he wasn't. The Jewish people might have felt a little bit the same way after hearing the prophet Isaiah. Again, another boring history lesson, and maybe we've been over this before, but just a refresher. In 586 BC, that would be before Christ, not this BCE, before common era, I mean, what is it common of? It's Jesus Christ, so let's just call it BC. Besides, it's one less letter you have to write anyways. So anyways, in 586 BC, the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem, including the greatest temple, uh, Jewish temple ever built, Solomon's temple, located in Jerusalem. Most of the Jews were exiled to Babylon. Now somewhere along the way, the Persian Empire grew stronger and eventually defeated the Babylonians. So after 70 years, just as the prophets had foretold, the Jewish people were allowed to go back to their homeland, back to Jerusalem, and the rest of Judah, the southern kingdom. And who allowed them to do this? King Cyrus, the king of Persia. So now here in our first reading, God calls King Cyrus, the king of Persia, his anointed, in Hebrew, Messiah. It's all your heart for the Jewish people to hear God call Cyrus his anointed, his Messiah. I mean, God takes full credit, I mean, as he should, for the rise of Cyrus. God says he called Cyrus by name and uh, gave Cyrus a title, so for the sake of his own people, for the sake of the Jewish people. So even though Cyrus was a foreigner, did not know God, did not believe in God, God so called Cyrus his anointed, his Messiah. So Cyrus frees the Jewish people from Babylonian captivity. Does this sound like anyone we know? Jesus saves us from the ca captivity of sin, evil, and death. In the second reading, we hear from the beginning of St. Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. He begins his letter reminding the Thessalonians that the Word of God, the truth of Jesus Christ, did not come to them in just words. No, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth of Jesus Christ, came to them in power and in the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it is hard to believe, to trust God, that, can, that God can change our situation. 
But it is also the truth that often Jesus doesn't change our situation. Instead, he gives us the grace to endure. There was in the 1960s and 1970s a theology that grew out of Marxism called liberation theology. As some of the countries in Latin America were faced with tough government regimes, there was a call for people to fight back to even take up arms in the name of Jesus Christ. Now this is, uh, they, these uh, people who uh, promoted liberation theology uh, twisted the Exodus story in the Old Testament and even used Jesus' own words, especially in the Gospel of St. Luke, to say that the main goal of Jesus' ministry was to free us from oppressive government rule. This is just not true. As should be self-evident, Jesus' first goal was to die for our sins and rise from the dead to give us the grace we need to overcome sin in our lives and to prepare our hearts for eternity with Him in heaven. As Christians, we know that as fallen human beings, there is no such thing as a perfect society, as a perfect government on this side of heaven. Humanism is a philosophy that believes that through science and reason, or should I say false reason, that humanity can create the perfect society on our own. That humanity can solve all of its problems on its own. Thus, according to humanism, there is no need for God. In today's Gospel, as Matthew records, the Pharisees tried to entrap Jesus in his speech. So they asked Jesus, is it lawful to pay the census tax to Caesar or not? Now it's a trap, right? So if Jesus says no, then they can report him to the Roman authorities as a rebellious citizen and have Jesus arrested. If Jesus says yes, then Jesus will probably have a lot less followers all of a sudden because he will be seen as a Roman sympathizer, as siding with the enemy. Jesus threads uh, the needle between this trap by asking to see a Roman coin. He then asks them, whose image is this and whose inscription? They answer, Caesar's. Jesus then says, Then we pay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God. St. Paul reiterates this in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. In fact, even in verse 6, St. Paul just plainly writes, This is why you should also pay taxes. So Jesus and St. Paul point uh, out that God has put, or at least allowed, the governments to come to power. Thus, as long as civil law does not contradict the divine law, we are obliged to follow the civil law. In my bulletin article for today, I use the example of abortion. Abortion is legal in a lot of states, including our own. Just because our civil law allows for an abortion doesn't mean it is morally good to have an abortion. Having an abortion or helping someone procure an abortion or forcing someone to have an abortion is automatic excommunication. 
That is how serious the sin, the sin of abortion is. Now, as communication isn't just for like getting rid of people who we don't think are worthy. No, it's me. It's a call to change. It's a call to repentance. It just means the church sees that what you did was extremely bad, but it is a call to say, I'm sorry, and to change. And so, God's mercy is always deeper and more powerful than our sin. All we ever need to do is to be sorry and to go to confession, and we were welcomed into God's saving grace once again. So if this is you, or you know someone who has had an abortion, please, please come back to the church. Come back. Jesus loves you. The church loves you. Come to confession and start over. The church doesn't want to condemn you. God wants to heal you. Another example would be, uh, would be drinking alcohol in moderation. Drinking alcohol in moderation is an okay moral thing to do. However, the Bible is very clear that being drunk, losing one's ability to reason what is good or bad, is a sin. But the Bible never says that we shouldn't drink at all, nor does the Bible talk about age limits or anything like that. Even so, our civil law says that we must be 21 before we can drink alcohol in public. Since this law doesn't contradict the divine law, it is good and right for us to follow the civil law. Governments exist for the good of the people, for the ordering of society. To the extent that government doesn't do this, it should be reduced or replaced. Governments are necessary for the working of society. The principle of subsidiarity says that something that can be handled by a lower power should not be handled by a higher power. So if a family can handle something, the city should not handle it. If the city can handle it, then the county should not handle it. And so on and so forth. So as Catholics, we should be involved in governance and in politics. However, we realize that the only perfect society is heaven. So we should work for justice in this world, but know that fallen humanity does not have the capacity to create the perfect society on earth. Thus we give to our society, give to Caesar what is good for humanity, but for the rest we give to God.